This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad that you've come along today. We have some interesting things to talk about, and I hope you'll pay attention to what's going to be happening. My thanks to so many people who've been sharing links to this, who've been reaching out to me, and who've been encouraged by this podcast. Let me tell you, you've been an encouragement to me. There have been a few times where I've wondered, do I really want to keep this thing going? I mean, it does take a a fair amount of time, and I have occasionally had some negative feedback, which makes me wonder about it. But there have been some great encouragers out there of this ministry as I've shared interviews and content that I produce in this Orthodox Wesleyan perspective that's really made a difference for me. So thank you so much. I'm thankful to to Wesley Biblical Seminary where I work in the studio where I am right now that is sponsoring this podcast. We are training trusted leaders for faithful congregations. And you might be in a congregation right now that's looking to have a trusted leader come your way. And we are doing all that we can to train people with a high view of scripture, with a pragmatic approach to ministry, and to emphasize the role of the spirit-filled life. So if that's something you might be interested in, maybe if you're just a lay person who wants to go deeper in your faith, check us out at WBS. Edu. This podcast is also brought to you by Bill Roberts, who's a financial planner who does a great job helping people plan for their financial futures, particularly people who serve in ministry. So you can check him out at williamhroberts.com. Now, you saw the title for this, and it is a bit of a provocative title, and it comes from what's often identified, or Charles Spurgeon identified, the Golden Psalm, Psalm 16. But I start off this way. Get my prop here. About two years ago, I was in a place and all of a sudden my daughter walked out of her bedroom and she had headphones on. Maybe one of the first times she had headphones on. And she was singing nice and loud. Life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. If you're riding right now yourself, maybe you're kind of uh, clapping your fingers on the the, the drive, what was it called? The steering wheel. You're on the steering wheel. So you're, you're figuring all that out, right? Life is a highway. Well, she came out and she didn't realize how loud she was. My sons and my wife and I all looked at her like, wow, she is really singing loud. But then in true Miller fashion, she realized she had an audience. And so as she had her headphones on, she looked around and smiled. And then she said, if you're going my way, twice as loud. If you're going my way, I want to ride it all night long. I mean, that is a great kind of summer driving song. If there ever was a driving song, Life is a Highway is it. Now, when I heard Georgia sing this song, I have to admit, I haven't thought about the words too much. You know, this is a very philosophical song. Life is a highway. But I didn't hear it this time with all of the background music. You know, that guitar that's coming in a nice cadence, the drum beat, all of kind of like the, the aura that comes with that song. I just heard my daughter singing quite loudly those words. And then I heard this line in another way. If you're going my way, I want to drive it all night long. And I think that that sentiment, now I am not just being critical of Rascal Flatts or whoever originally wrote this song, okay? I probably will still sing this song in the future, so don't take this as an anti-Rascal Flatts song uh, sentiment from me. But there's this idea of like, if you're going my way, that's the exact opposite of a psalm that says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. 
Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. No, we might approach God in this way. Well, God, if this is life's highway, the journey, and if you'll use me in this way, if, if you're going my way, I'll ride. Or how about this? Better yet, I'll drive. You might even say, look, it, it makes sense for David to sing this song. Life was going great his way. If you're going my way, I want to ride it. See, this is, comes from this idea, again, this verse, verse 5. If you, if you have your Bible, it would be great to open up Psalm 16, verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Hear how we have like geographical terms here. Geographical terms that would be very similar to the Israelites' conquest in Joshua. The boundary lines, the portion, my lot, these places. What the psalmist is saying here at the very beginning of this is it's not, rather not, life is going our way. He's saying, you alone, you, Lord, are my portion. My spouse isn't my portion in my cup, my church, my job, my desires. My emotions don't direct all that. He's saying, you alone are my portion. When I was in Israel a few years ago, I was traveling with a group of Salvation Army officers. And everywhere we would go, we'd just like, kind of like be marked as our group. We rode in the same tour bus. We ate in the same restaurants. We stayed in the same hotels. And I came up in our hotel, and I saw at the restaurant where we were eating my group of friends, the Salvation Army officers right there at the very back of the restaurant. So I walked up to them, and I was headed there. But then the waiter kind of got my way, and he was kind of checking me out, and he's trying to figure out where I'm going. And I pointed to that group at the back. And so he looked at his list, and he said, Are you? Are you? And he went down. And for whatever reason, and in very broken English, he said, are you salvation? Um, well, I'm not salvation. I've been asked to be a lot of things. I'm a pastor, preacher, you know, professor, father, all these things. But I'm definitely not salvation. I know that the people in Israel are still waiting the Messiah, but I promise you, it's not me. right? But unfortunately, what happens is sometimes we end up thinking of ourselves as if we are our own saving grace. We are our own salvation. And this is what happens when we say, if you're going my way, God, I'll let you fit into my plans. And maybe at this point, we just need to acknowledge that we need to own that our journeys are not our own. We need to own that our journeys are not our own. I think this is what Carl Truman's getting at in his book, The Triumph of the Modern Self. Like, what, what's going on in that? He's like analyzing all the challenges that our society is experiencing with transgenderism, with expressing our own realities, this expressive individualism that determines how we think about the universe. So we can decide in a moment, oh, if you're going my way, this is my way, and I've decided I'm gonna be this gender today. Now, I recognize there are a host of pastoral, psychological, and emotive things that we need to consider in these situations. But it does come back to the reality of the individualized self. And if we allow ourselves to be the captain of our own universe, to decide our own reality, we get in trouble. And that's exactly what this psalm is saying. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, Lord, I say to the Lord, I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. Just remember when you, you see this type of 
um, use of the word Lord, all caps in scripture, that's indicating the divine name, Yahweh. So I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I'm not. I'm not my own Lord. It's not just, if you're going my way, right? It's more than that. And then there's this interesting line, like, remember, apart from you, I have no good thing. This connects back to this idea that for me, we're first learning about from St. Augustine, the idea that evil is the privation of the good. That evil in itself doesn't exist as its own entity. Evil, evil is just a manipulation of the things that are good. Now, this is a wild idea. And if this is your first time hearing it, bear with me. Just think through this a little bit. I, I was helped by Dr. Dennis Kinlaw in this. He says this, evil, he, he said this, evil is simply good in the wrong place at the wrong time. Evil is simply good in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's the same way we can think about darkness being the absence of light. Or a more sophisticated analogy, a donut. A donut, a donut hole is just the absence of the donut, right? It's, there, it isn't its own thing. It's just the absence of a donut. Sin, in this sense, is a parasite. Dr. Tom McCall helped me think of this. Sin is a parasite or it's a corrosive reality. It's like rot to a tree or rust to a car. It's not something that is its own thing. Instead, it only exists as it relates and corrupts, as a parasite, that good thing. So C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, badness is only spoiled goodness. And there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. But when we embrace our approach, we say, we will define our own reality. We are going to step in and say, no, even though the church has always taught this about the nature of human sexuality, even though the church has always taught this, about the way that we think about the way God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. No, we're going to step in and say that this is what it is. No. Instead, this is the move away from the boundary lines that God has given us. When we embrace this, if you're going my way approach, we allow sin to take root. We allow evil to corrupt and corrode. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Apart from you, I have no good thing. This idea of the boundary lines is an interesting one. It might be, you say, well, well if Andy, if I had your boundary lines, or if I had so-and-so's boundary lines, that would be another story. I'd be able to make this psalm my life psalm then. Maybe you say, I'd like, I'd like a bigger portion. I don't like my portion of my cup. I'd like a smaller portion. I'd like a different portion. If you're going my way, then I'll ride. But I have to say, like, what's going on here? And what's going on in the sexual revolution of our time is that it's a denial of what is real. And there's a way that's intrinsically connected to what sin is. It's a denial of the things that are real in the world, what God has laid out for us. But the challenge is deeper, too. It's not just, I don't like my portion, or I don't like the boundary line, so I'm going to change them. But the challenge is when we acknowledge that they come from God, and then we say, I don't think you're good at drawing lines. I don't think you're good at your job, God. 
and I don't trust you. Now, I hope you can hear that I'm not suggesting that the boundary lines are some sort of ultimate determinism. That means everything is planned out at all points and that everything happens for a reason. That's not the type of theology I'm proposing here. But I am suggesting that God has a direction and a will for your life. And he is calling you to be a certain type of person. And he might be calling you today to a very specific task. He might be calling you to embrace the orthodox message of the Christian church. He might be calling you to fidelity in marriage. He might be calling you to uphold the sanctity of marriage and family life. He might be calling you to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. This is a dangerous place to be though when we reject God's lines, reject the boundary lines and where they've fallen. G.K. Chesterton talks about this in his book, Orthodoxy. There's a chapter where he talks about his own move from agnosticism and atheism to Christianity. And he had this interesting thing to say about these boundaries and the order. He said the order that exists in the world. He says, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. The chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. I'm telling you, the boundary lines are meant to enable us to run wild. I believe that's what God wants for you and for me, to run wild in these boundary lines. Our allegiance, you see, isn't to the lines. Our allegiance is not to our portion. Instead, what this psalm is suggesting, and the beauty of it, is that our allegiance is directed to a person. The white flag of surrender is waved at the very beginning when this theological poet says, I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. We begin to see that the presence and faithfulness of a relationship with God is something that's ultimately a grace. It's God's initiative. It's God's work. It's his gift. And our relationship with Jesus allows him to be a focal point for our experience. And it's better than questioning our boundary lines. Because I'm telling you this, God has more goodness in store for you than you could ever dream. I believe that God has more goodness in store for you than you could ever dream. God knows what it will take for you to find fulfillment, but it won't come when you try to create your own reality. Psalm 16 is speaking directly into our society and our world that wants to move away from what God has clearly revealed. It only comes when we discover that true meaning in Him. Now, there's something unique about this psalm I want to highlight too. It's one of the few places in the Old Testament where the word holy is directed to people. It says in verse 3, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Now, when this happens, we're aware of people being called holy in the New Testament. But here in the Old Testament, what's interesting is he says, I say of the holy people, and the, the kind of the word in, in Hebrew is strange to look at it. But it says, the holy people who are in the land. The holy people who exist. And David's not talking about himself here. Instead, like he's contrasting those who run after other gods, run after their own way, seek to have life as a highway, and if, they're, if God's going their way, they'll ride. But he's saying, 
I save the holy people who exist. They're not a figment of their imagination. They're not a myth. And I believe what we're hearing here is that this opportunity to experience God's sanctifying presence in our life is a possibility. There are the holy people in land. We can come to a place where we have an undivided heart, where we're able to focus our hearts on who God is calling us to be, to be able to come to a place of experiencing his sanctifying grace in our life. Now, there is a contrast basically throughout this psalm. Those who say, God, I'm going to let you draw the lines for my life. They're the holy ones. And then the other side is those who say, nope, I've got my own lines. I'll draw them myself. Thank you very much. Notice how then the psalmist leads us to a place in verses 7-8 where he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him on my right hand, I will not be shaken. He says, even at night, and maybe you're at a nighttime moment in your life right now. I'm telling you that when you submit to God and you make him Lord, you say, apart from you, I have no good thing. There's nothing good in my life that comes without you. And I'm going to accept the boundary lines that you've given my life, and I'm going to run in them. Even at night, you'll be able to trust and even at night, you'll be able to thrive. This great psalm doesn't end with just that. It also talks about, we have this great picture of the resurrection. It says in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Peter picked up on this passage in his Acts 2 sermon as he identifies the opportunity for Jesus to be the one who is this resurrected one who does not see decay. But this also becomes the promise for all of us. Just as Jesus' body was resurrected, so too our bodies will be resurrected. And this, I love how the psalmist picks up on this. Like even this concept of Sheol, this realm of the dead that existed for, as the Israelites understood it in that time. He's like, there's got to be something more than this. And that's the beauty of walking with God. That's the beauty of running wild in these boundary lines is that there's more than just what we know in this life right now. There is an eternity where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more cancer, no more sexual trafficking. There is a beautiful world where we can run wild in who God has called us to be and how he's leading us to that place. And we see that right in this passage. So we can say, if you're going my way, then I'll ride or then I'll drive. Or we can say, God, I'm going your way. Many people know my favorite movies. Some of my favorite movies are the Rocky movies. I found something very interesting as I was listening to some commentary on Rocky. Believe it or not, there's some commentary out there on the philosophical assumptions of Rocky and the narrative structure. But one of the things about it is interesting is that, you know, Rocky one, for instance, just Rocky. It's about this direct, it's not just about him getting the ring. It's about him not wanting to be a bum, but it's also about his relationship with Adrian, who becomes his wife. You know, it's interesting, after the fight's over, after Apollo Creed's done, he's not interested in talking about a rematch. He's interested, generally, at the end of his movies, in finding Adrian. And you know, what, what's the famous line? How does Rocky end? Yo, Adrian, we did it, right? What's that point to? It's like, Moving beyond just what happens in the boundaries of the ring, it's moving to something deeper. It's not about what happens in the ring, but it's about the relationship that he has with his wife. 
And as we move from this passage, it's not about the boundary lines. Instead, it's about the relationship that we have with God. And we're called to something deeper, called to something better, because there's more to the story. I wish I had more time to even talk about this psalm. I'm so thankful for what it speaks into our life and how this golden psalm has a moment for me to say, I'm going your way, God, because you have more for me. Thanks for checking this out. If you don't mind taking a minute to share a link, it would mean a lot to me. God bless you.